appreciate that, Rachel, Jeff. Um, we thank you, Ken, for being so gracious. Um, made me think of my dad. I got all choked up. I didn't plan on being that way. Sometimes emotions hit you. You know, my dad was from the old stoic school. He didn't say, I love you. He didn't really hug. He didn't want to get entrapped in anything emotional because somehow that wasn't masculine, or at least that's the way I read it as a kid. And of course, I'm a big sap, so I guess I felt that. But one of the things I was thinking that kind of brought tears to my eyes, uh, when I went to seminary, I went down to Texas. And when I went to college, it was only an hour away, so I got to see Dad quite a bit. But when I went down to Texas, I didn't get to see him much because, you know, pretty good drive. And uh, I'll never forget. Now, this was before cell phones, guys. I think, really? There was a time before cell phones? <laughs> yeah, there was. And we had an old pay phone in the hall of the seminary uh, dorm where I stayed. And Dad called one Sunday afternoon. And one of the things, Dad worked three jobs uh, when I was a teenager to help put my sister through college. And uh, so most of the time, he was always working. But what we would do on Sunday afternoons, we'd go out to eat. And then afterward, uh, especially I remember watching football. We'd watch a football game together. Well, it was football season. My sister lived in Atlanta, so we were Atlanta Falcon fans. And he called on the payphone. I went to the payphone. We sat there for at least an hour, and he gave me play-by-play of the football game. And all he was saying was, I wish you were here to watch this game with me. It's just not the same. Y'all know what I mean? So I got kind of emotional thinking about that. I thought about how blessed I was with a dad that was real busy, but a dad that he had his way of saying, I love you. Uh, some of you have dads that were real busy. Never quite click, though, how much he loved you. Um, I want to share some words with you from uh, Irma Bombeck, uh, who was a popular writer. Irma writes, When I was a kid, a father was like the light in a refrigerator. Every house had one, but nobody knew what either of them did once the door was shut. My dad left the house every morning and always seemed glad to see everyone at night. He opened the jar of pickles when nobody else could. He was the only one in the house who wasn't afraid to go to the basement by himself. He cut himself shaving, but no one kissed it or got excited about it. It was understood whenever it rained, he got the car and brought it around to the door. When anyone was sick, he got the prescription filled. He set mouse traps, cut back the roses to the thorns, wouldn't clip you when you came to the front door. When I got a bike, he ran alongside me for at least a thousand miles until I got the hang of it. I was afraid of everyone else's father, but not my own. Once I made him tea, it was only sugar water, but he sat on a small chair and said it was delicious. Whenever I played house, the mother doll had a lot to do. I never knew what to do with the daddy doll. <laughs> so I had him say, I'm going off to work now. And threw him under the bed. 
when I was nine years old, my father didn't get up one morning and go to work. He went to the hospital and died the next day. I went to my room and felt under my bed for the daddy doll. When I found him, I dusted him off and put him on my bed. He never did anything. I didn't know his leaving would hurt so much. I still don't know why. A lot of times it's hard for us guys to emotionally connect because we feel that somehow it's to show weakness when in fact it's strength. We just sometimes don't get that or understand it. Uh, I remember last Sunday after church, Lydia came up to me and, you know, she's so energetic. And she says, Daddy, Daddy, Nathan wants to hug you. He wants to show his affection to you. I'm like, okay, yeah. So I went over to Nathan. I said, hug. He goes, whoa. When I'm ready to leave home, handshake. Sometimes it's tough. To display affection. I want to turn to a very familiar passage to us. But oftentimes the focus from this passage is on one of the kids. But not the dad. And yet I think in many ways, without a doubt, it's the dad who really shines through. I'm talking about in Luke 15, a passage we know as the prodigal son or the lost son. And I want to read, uh, this is Luke fifteen eleven through the end of the chapter. And we'll ask when you find that standing God's honor. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father's killed the fat calf because he has him back safe and sound. 
The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we've had to celebrate and we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Lord, it's good to be in your house. And you're the, you're the ultimate dad. You're the dad who we can always run to. And we're grateful for that. We're also reminded of our earthly dad. Father, I pray that through this message, Jesus would be here. I pray that your spirit would be evident and that we would leave closer to you. It's our prayer. In your name we ask this. Amen. Guys, I'm going to go down here before I get started and grab Kleenex. Um, Oops. What do we know about this guy? Not a whole lot. We know that the dad in this story is the only parent that's mentioned. We do not catch any news about the mom. I don't know. Maybe he was a single dad. What a rough job that is. But she's not mentioned. We do discover that he owns cattle. He owns several robes, evidently which was unusual in that day. Had some spare sandals and he had a a ring that showed the signet ring, which is kind of like our modern day credit card, which is a a signal of of having wealth, having property. So he was a guy who had some stuff. So it, it appears that he was a successful businessman. He had says he had hired men, so he had other employees that worked in his business. What's amazing about him, as we shall see, is although he was a successful businessman, and I'm sure he had a lot to do, he was a busy man, he had time for his boys. And we're going to look at that, and and, uh, we're going to look at some lessons that we can learn from this man. It's not easy to be a parent, not easy to be a kid. I often say that the tough thing about being a parent is somebody has to grow up. Since you're older, you usually have to grow up some. And it's hard. Sometimes you're misunderstood. Uh, Sometimes we say as a parent, you know, I survived, hopefully, my hope is my kids will survive. Because sometimes we do some of the stupidest things. Things get misunderstood. Phil Downer, in his book, A Father's Reward, tells a story of misunderstanding that I think you guys will connect to. He was coming back from a business trip and he got off the plane with several of his business associates. They were standing around talking. His son came to meet him. They embraced and his son was so excited that he had to blurt out some very important news to his dad. 
He said, Dad, you won't believe what I did this week. And his dad said, Son, what did you do? He said, Dad, I had my first joint. He said that the other businessmen, he said they were looking at the ground, they were looking at their shoes. He didn't know what to do. He felt he felt dumb. Finally, after a while, he he said to his son, Son, what do you mean? He said, Dad, you know that we needed to put up another bookcase, and Dad, I I I made my first hand miter joint. He goes, Oh. Misunderstandings that can arise, that can cause broken and fractured relationships. It often happens when we don't really listen to one another. (laughs) And I want to start, first thing that we learn here is that this was a dad who was willing to listen. And that is very difficult to do at times. Matter of fact, as we look at this scripture, we see that as busy as he was, um, he had this conversation with his son and said, the younger one said to his father, came and they discussed uh, his son wanting to move away, wanting to take his inheritance, which certainly seemed like a crazy idea, but he listened to his boy. And then the next verse, verse 13, it says not long after that, So the boy didn't leave immediately. He didn't rush out with the money and immediately leave his dad because he was in a hurry to get away. So I I think we can take from that that there were probably other conversations that occurred. And I think the reason for that is because the dad was willing to actually listen to his son. So often we act like we're listening, but we really don't listen. Dave Roper in, in, wrote a piece in one of his books entitled, When I Listen and When I Don't. And he gave these examples that really convicted me about when it's obvious we're not really listening. He says, I'm not really listening when I'm thinking about an answer while others are talking. When I give unsolicited advice, I'm not listening. When I suggest they shouldn't feel that way, I'm not listening. When I fail to acknowledge their feelings, I'm not listening. When I fidget, glance at my watch, and appear to be rushed, I'm not listening. When I fail to maintain eye contact, I'm not listening. When I don't ask follow-up questions, I'm not listening. When I top their story, With a bigger story, I'm not listening. When they share a difficult experience and I counter with one of my own, I'm not listening. Boy, it's powerful. God wants us to listen. It says in James chapter 1, Be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. He doesn't say be quick to speak. He says be quick to listen. There's so much value and people are so hungry for someone who listens. And there's no greater way really to show people you love them than to really listen. Because 
Seems like nobody does. This was a dad who listened. Powerful message sent to his son and a powerful message that we can send to our loved ones, dads and everyone else. Listen. Listen. Um, Second point here, there's three of these. He was willing to release his kids and to let him go. Wow. That's so hard. I didn't really understand until uh, I'm facing a little of that myself. I told the story uh, one service here about my parents. I found out from my sister later uh, that my dad was really struggling with me being in Texas, and I'm sure my mom was too. And they had this conversation, and and uh, finally my mom said to my dad, she said, Honey, he called her Pookie. He said, Yes, Pookie. She said, Honey, uh, I know we love Todd, but he deserves to have a life too. So does everybody. But as a parent, you begin to think, these kids belong to me. Nah, they never did. They're God's. He was willing to let his kid go. It would have been so easy to chase him down. It would have been so easy to try to force him to stay. It would have been so easy to try to play that role of, I'm going to control you because I'm the dad and I'm the one that calls the shots and you need to listen to me. But there's no record of any of that. There's no record of him chasing down his son. There's no record of him trying to uh, convince his son to stay. There's there's no record of, of that. And it's... I know it's heartbreaking what his son does. I'm not trying in any way to validate that or say that it's a good thing. Matter of fact, it is crazy. It says that verse 13, that the younger son got together all that he had. and He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. He went there to find life, to find friends, to experience a thrill as they say, to sow the wild oats. And for a while, he had some friends, but once the money was gone, no friends. They were gone as well. And so all that great time turned into a lot of heartbreak. He got hungry, and you guys know the story. This is so well known to us. It says... uh, There was a severe famine in the land. So he began to be in need. Verse 14. So he went out. Hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Who sent him to his field. To feed pigs. Wow. What a desperate time. Especially. uh, Of course we know for a Jew to be doing anything with pigs. Boy that was. That was a no-no. That was taboo. (laughs) It says, verse 16, He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Nothing. Eating pig slop. No, no food. No help. Temporary insanity. 
rebellion, walking away, looking for the good time, not realizing what you had. I, I read this week, uh, Mark Twain had said, um, he said, at 14, he said, I thought my dad was the stupidest man on the planet. And it's amazing now, seven years later, how much he has learned. This must have occurred by this guy. Look at what it says here in the scripture. It says, when he came to his senses, suddenly he kind of woke up and thought, well, my old man's not so dumb. Home's not so bad. As a matter of fact, guys, when we look here, he doesn't think about his best friend back home to go to him. He doesn't think about uh, another role model, um, uh, a neighbor. He thinks about who? He thinks about his dad. That's what first comes to his mind when he comes to his senses. He look at look at what it says. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back where to my father. I'll go back to him. Now, there are some things uh, here that caught my attention about the dad uh, that I think is uh, worthwhile. There's no mention here, first of all, of gossip. There's no mention that the dad says, You know that boy of mine, someday he's going to get it together, but right now, he's so low he could play handball on the curb. Well, they didn't even have curb, so I shouldn't have used that example. But he, he, there's no mention here of him downgrading his son. There's no mention here of, 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 of you know, putting him down. There's no mention of him gossiping. And the second thing I noticed, there's no mention of the dad feeling sorry for himself. Because what so often happens is, you say, what did I do wrong? Where did I, where did I go wrong? Where did I mess this up? But guys, there's no mention of either of those there. Instead of beating himself up, instead of beating his son up, he looks up. And oh, what prayer times that must have been. I never will forget reading in Ruth Graham's biography, talking about her son Franklin. Uh, of course, we all know now Franklin living for the Lord. But in those days he wasn't. And I'll never forget, there was an excerpt from her diary that said, Dear God, spare this boy for my sake. Oh, how she loved him, wanted him to come back. And I can just see the prayers of this dad and then heart to heart poured out before God. God, bring my boy back. God, I love him. God, he's turned away from you. And God, he's, he's, he, he, he just needs your help, God. God, do something. Day after day after day. On his knees, on his face before God. Crying out to God. Saying, God, I can't change this. God, I can't fix it. God, I need you to work. And I want you to see what is significant that happened with this boy that is so important here. Um, Verse 18, he says, I'll set out and go back to my father. And notice what he says. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Let me just stop there a minute. The first thing I think that's so important about this boy is real repentance. He's not talking about I've gotten in bad situation. I've gotten caught with nothing, 
says, I've sinned. And he starts out and he brings God into it. He says, man, I've, I've left God out of my life. I've sinned against God. And then he says, against you too, Dad. And, and so he rehearses this over and over in his mind. I mean, he's really turned, turned around. He's really had an experience of realizing. I mean, he's broken. It says in Psalm fifty-one seventeen, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's this boy. And he's headed back. And I can imagine in my mind, rehearsal. You know, re- rehearsal for a, uh, to get the words right. And I, I bet he played that speech over and over. Dad, I'm not worthy for anything you have. Dad, I'm not worthy to be here. Dad, I'm a screw up. I mean, I don't know exactly, but I imagine, man, it was some tough rehearsal <laughs> headed home. But we've heard this so many times, but I love this, guys. I love this picture here. The boy says in his mind, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. He got up and went to his father. Now this is exciting here. I'm with hard not to get pumped at this. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Now let me just stop there a second. What does this say to me clearly? He was looking for his son to come home. This wasn't just about the son coming home. This was about the father looking for him to come home. He was watching. He was hoping. Who knows how many times he'd been standing out there looking at this and thinking, Man, I wish I could see my son. I wish he'd come. Son, where are you? But this day, when he looked out there, there was his son. And he didn't wait for his son to come. I imagine his son was mumbling. Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am not worthy. But before he could get that speech into effect, here comes his dad running full force, grabs his son, picks him up and embraces him and hugs him in a bear hug. Probably about that, uh, you know, hurting, hurting me. <laughs> and, and there's this obvious love that is shown. The dad didn't wait for the son to come. He ran toward him because his father loved him deeply and he missed him. He missed him. One last point, and then I'm done. He was quick and ready to forgive. Now, this dad paid quite a price, didn't he? Lost a big part of the estate, squandered. Had a son who, uh, other son, who obviously was mad at him. I mean, they're, they're, that was going on. In the house. Difficult stuff. But he didn't look at the offense. He didn't look at what was lost. He looked at what was found. His son was back. And what he cared about more than anything was not the stuff. His son's what mattered. He embraced him. He took him back with all the excitement. He said, man, we need to celebrate. And he brought in all this stuff to celebrate his son's return. There wasn't focus on how his son screwed up, how he was a mess up, everything that he had lost and squandered. There was a focus on he was back. That's what mattered to this dad. What a dad. What an awesome dad. Isn't that great?
This, uh, my sister years ago spoke at a Dale. She went to one of these Dale Carnegie seminars, and they made you get up and speak. And she was scared to death. But uh, I'll share with you the story that she told. She told me this years ago. But my parents only owned one new car. And uh, they hadn't had it very long. When my sister was at that wonderful age of learning how to drive. And so dad got in the car with her. And, you know, they took off doing the driving thing. And there was a there was a dirt road that you had to turn in that went back uh, went right back behind to the front of our our ha- or the back of our house, and you had to come in and then you'd go in that way. And uh, anyway, it's kind of you know kind of a tough turn, and my sister came around the corner just a little bit too fast, and she hit the brakes, but she was really scared. She almost hit this tree. Well, my dad had read somewhere, and you know. You gotta, you gotta get back in if you're, matter of fact, I think she did barely hit the tree. Said, you know, if you think you've had a wreck, you've got to get back in it, you've got to do it again or you'll lose your nerve. So I'm like, okay. So he said, he called her squirt. He said, now squirt, you gotta get back in that car and you gotta do it again. You gotta go back around. Daddy, I don't want to, daddy. Daddy, no. You gotta do it, squirt, now. So she gets, you know, that backs up. I go back around the block. She gets so nervous. Instead of hitting the brake, she hits the gas. Goes flying into a tree. Crunches up the front of the car. And uh, my sister telling me this. She says, you know, I'm thinking, well, Dad's obviously I'm dead. You know, life is over. She's crying. Dad looks over at her and says, Oh, well, squirt. Don't worry about it. They make cars every day. Can you forgive? Has your heart been ripped out? By your kid? Or kids by your parents? Can you forgive? Guys, that's what our life's about. To receive forgiveness and to give forgiveness. Um, I don't know what state you are with your dad. Maybe your dad's already like mine in heaven. Maybe your dad's not there yet. Maybe you need to talk to him about some stuff. What a great lesson from this dad. He lost a lot of stuff. But what he cared about was his son coming home. Maybe you need to call your dad and say, it's time, Dad. We need to get together. Or if you're a dad, maybe you need to call a kid. He's hurting and say, it's time to get together. It's time to share. Let me share one more thing before we have the invitation and go. Uh, Ken, the reason I got so emotional, uh, one reason I got so emotional when you shared about inviting uh, some of the dads out to eat tomorrow was my memory went back to a time with my dad. My dad was never an avid churchgoer. Um, he went some. But I'll never forget uh, much of my friends from church. There's probably about 40 teenagers. He comes in the room one night after church. A bunch of us were together. And he says, uh, I'm inviting everybody in here to Shoney's. 
for hot fudge cake and a drink. Well, they all came. So, of course, we, we cram into Shoney's and everybody gets hot fudge cake and a drink and had a great time. Oh, man, it was probably 15 years later. Mark, uh, this guy named Mark, who's now a physician's assistant, he came to me and said, do you remember that time 15 years ago when your dad came in the room and said, hot fudge cake for everybody, let's go. That meant a lot to me. You know what? That meant a lot to me. Grateful for the compassion of a dad, of a godly man who's generous. means a lot, doesn't it? Okay, guys, we're at this time we call invitation, we call response. How's God spoken? What are we going to do? We have an altar if you need to pray. I'll be at the front. If you, you want someone to pray with, I'd love to pray with you. If there's something you need to say to God's people, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. We just want to do business with God. Let's pray and then we're going to stand, sing, come if God calls. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a good day. Thank you for blessing us, God. Father, what do you want to do this morning? Or what have you done? You're the real Father that we need. As much as we love our earthly dads, you're the dad of eternity. So, Father, what do you want of us this morning? Speak to our hearts, Lord. Let us not rest until we agree to whatever you're telling us to do. And Father, may we obey and find what we need. Because that's always where it comes in following you. Have your way this morning, Lord. Be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.